Old School Lane Casual Chats is brought to you by Old School Lane, producing various content from blogs, videos, and podcasts discussing about movies, TV shows, video games, and everything else in between since 2011. You can check out the podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, Overcast, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and YouTube. We're associated with Channel Frederator, Manic Expression, The Comic Book Cast, and The Aaron Meta Show. Welcome to a new episode of Casual Chats. I am Patricia, and I'm here with a special guest that I haven't actually had on the podcast in oh, it's been almost five years at this point. Oh my gosh! So I'm here with uh, Des Shinta. So welcome back, Des. Hello. I've been taking a walk. Well, it's been a very long walk indeed, especially since uh, we're going to be talking about Fully Cooley again. So I know that uh, we have covered Fully Cooley a few times over the past few years. The first one came out around 2001, and we covered that all the way back in 2018. And then we covered Fully Cooley Progressive and Fully Cooley Alternative in 2019, even though that it came out in 2018. But we were doing it in honor of the show reaching on DVD. But... Now, since then, since five years since we did our last podcast, we are now talking about two new seasons of Fully Cooley, and they're called Fully Cooley Grunge and Fully Cooley Showgaze. So, first and foremost, I want to give a shout out to Zenith, who actually predicted that one of the seasons was going to be called Fully Cooley Grunge. I actually re-listened to the podcast we did, and she mentioned grunge, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> you actually predicted that five years ago good on you now i'm still waiting for fully coolly punk but i think that's not going to happen at this point but i digress so yeah considering yeah. they've wrapped considering they've wrapped it all around it's possible especially with the state of gynex not exactly being in good shape right now oh really how so uh, we brought that up last time we did this about five years ago where most of their creative staff have left to do other things kazuki nakashima gurren logan's creator took the license to that from them when he went to Trigger. Trigger has was basically the vacating of a lot of their staff, and Hideaki Ano took Studio Kara and 
of course, did a bunch of Shin descriptive movies. I have not seen Shin Kamen Rider or Shin Ultraman that he's made, but I've heard they're good. Okay. And then there was Shin Godzilla, which was amazing. And then there's the rebuild of Evangelion movies from him, which are still mixed, even though they finally concluded since we last did that. Gainax basically doesn't have a lot of original IPs to do much with. Nadia, their bigger stuff that they still are known for are uh, Gunbuster, which they tried a sequel to that and it didn't work out well, so they can't exactly do another with that. And Nadia and the Secret of Blue Water, which... They actually didn't own when they did it. They did that in uh, concert with Toho and actually had Hayao Miyazaki uh, ghost right on that one to end up being a gigantic disaster for the entire production. It it actually put them in such financial hardship that that's what led to Evangelion's creation. Right. But yeah, since most of their good creative staff are gone they don't exactly have a lot of a lot going for them now these days so adult swim continuing to fund the fooly cooly stuff just because it was big um back in the day is probably one of the few avenues for them to get any attention out there yeah do you remember from five years ago when we covered both fully coolly progressive and fully coolly alternative the reactions to both seasons were pretty mixed people said that fully coolly progressive was just basically cashing in on the popularity of the first series and not doing too much and then fully coolly alternative was doing a different take on fully coolly that we never seen before where it was essentially a coming of age story with a mixture of fully coolly in it so um, a lot of people gravitated a little bit more towards alternative than progressive and now since then since um now that uh grunge and shoegaze has come out i've seen pretty much the same reactions except there are a few differences this time for for fully coolie grunge and fully coolie shoegaze their uh their production their animation production was done by production ig and uh, they're actually uh, different animation styles for fully coolie grunge where it's more of a 3d animation style while um Shoegaze is more of the traditional style that we've seen in the uh, previous Fully Cooly uh, seasons. And another change is that they only have three episodes as opposed to six. Yeah, it seems more formatted to be an... Well, they've always been an OVA series, but this more seemed to bend into that format where they would do three-episode OVAs back in the day. Right. Um, Probably just due to financing limitations, even though they were being made for Adult Swim. Um, Another difference is for... Grunge, it was actually written by a guy named Tetsuhiro Ikeda, who is not actually a screenwriter. He's an actor most known for playing the character Permanent in the spoof series, and I am dead serious with with what I'm about to say, but Detective. (laughs) Wow, okay. (laughs) What a name. Which somehow has gotten seven seven seasons and seven movies. Okay, so the whole community joke about six seasons in a movie, that just, like, literally crushed it then. Yeah. It's like, I've never seen it, I've never heard of it, but it, it's like, I actually kind of liked grunge. Like, my thing, as I mentioned when we did this podcast last time, is I was on board progressive more than alternate, because for me, the story formatting was about how you can't get stuck on the past, and progressive by doing repetitious things, but trying to push the story forward was trying to show that thematically that if you want more sequels, we can't keep doing the same things. Yeah. And so that's why I was on board more of that than alternative where it's where with alternates, 
its protagonist, Kana, who comes back in Shoegaze, uh, kind of got stuck on things being as they were and wasn't willing to accept changes and that things will come to an end. That actually ends up becoming part of her arc in Shoegaze that actually left me, after I watched Shoegaze, more open to what Alternate did because it was addressing my criticisms of that story. Right. And yeah, I really did enjoy Alternative a tad bit more than Progressive because I really did enjoy the struggles and the um, the questions that Kana was going through in her mind where she was 17 years old and she was wondering what was going to be the next step in her life. And then all of a sudden, we have this uh, huge phenomenon that was going on about. And then she realizes that maybe she could be the one to change things. And we see with Shoegaze that it kind of just went away when she grew up. And I just thought, okay, now we have a different type of crisis that she's going through, which we'll cover later on Shoegaze. But first, we'll have to cover Grunge. So, yeah, Grunge focuses on three characters as opposed to usually one. I mean, there are cases in which, like, we get to get focus on different characters and their perspectives. But this time around, each episode focuses on um, three, uh, you know, one character that are essentially a group of friends. So we have Shinpachi, Shinari, and Orinoko. And yeah, I think that that's really interesting about like the focus on these three characters is all taking place in one night in Okura involving with Haruko again. Well, I mean, at this point in time, it's like, you know, it's apparent. It's apparently a prequel to the original Fuli Kuli again, like the, the events are apparently supposed to now be alternate shoegaze grunge, the original and progressive. So yes. it's setting up how it's going into Fully Cooley about how, how Haruko, after sh how she's exposed to Atomisk at the end of Alternate, is kind of become obsessed about him and then kind of putting herself back together after the world split Kana caused. Mm -hmm. and, except we don't know how Okura kind of ties into that. Is this still Earth? Is this another one of the planets? Is this just a perspective of the Earth of the original we just didn't see because it was a future setting, but anachronistically set in urban decay. We're, right. we're unsure of the exact connections, just how the timeline syncs up on them. Yeah, I'm, I'm uncertain as to where the timeline sink in for this one. I don't know if it takes place several years or several months before the events, but anyway, but yeah, we have these um, three characters that are uh, our main focus. So we have Shin, who works at his father's sushi restaurant, who is feeling that he is out of hope because everybody who is an adult just is more or less fitting into society, even though that everything around them is just terrible, and he's just trying to find a way out. Then we have Shinari, who is an alien, who kind of looks like the thing from Fantastic Four, and he's just trying to figure himself out alongside with his older brother, where um, his older brother is actually like the cleanup guy of a Yakuza group, and he is constantly getting himself drunk and getting brain damage because of all the violence he has to go through. And, and Shinari's just looking at him with just absolute frighten, um, just frustration, frustration. Yeah. Uh, with absolute frustration. And it doesn't help much that, you know, everybody's just teasing and making fun of him just for him being absolutely different. And then we have uh, Orinoko who is uh, the daughter of a person who does 
uh, blade stuff, like uh, creating knives and swords and various things. But he started to lose his touch, especially when he got sick and then when his wife died and his wife's memories are being programmed into a computer who's helping him out with things. And so she goes around looking for scrap metal to make things, even though that there's not a lot of iron and steel left. So we focus, uh, you know, we focus on her um, interacting with both Shin and with Shinari. And all of this stuff is going around with Haruko pretending to be two different people where she's with the mayor and she's with the Yakuza group. And eventually she does break apart from both of them. And then she tries to go after Adamus again. So not just surprising at this point in time. Yeah. Especially as it being a prequel, it's her trying to find him after the first incident and she figures out what he is. Well, still count, uh, continuing with the byline of what a lot of her arc is in her figuring out how to stop medical mechanica stuff. We saw an alternate that she tr was trying brute force before. This time she's doing the whole infiltrator thing to figure out what the hell their scheme is and ultimately concludes it as we see through the three episodes uh, to basically hack the system and get the iron this time off the planet. Right. And yeah, I, I mean, I would say that each of the episodes was able to not only give us a little bit more story as to what happened after the events of Alternative, but also showcase some new things that we hadn't seen before in the previous Fully Cooly installments. And I thought that that was actually really interesting, the fact that we were able to have different focus on each of the characters and how are they able to become connected with Haruko's side of the story. Yeah, I'm surprised that there aren't more stories that are done in this perspective style. Um, it was popularized a lot by the 1950 film Rashomon, believe it or not. Yeah. Or if, uh, for people who might not have seen that, uh, think of the animated film Hoodwinked from the 2000s. Or, yeah, that, that's another good example, too. Yeah, yeah so I, I think that the way that the story was, was able to play out, I thought that they were pretty well done. I really enjoyed each of the characters and their frustrations towards life. They each have a different reason on why they're so miserable, whether it be with Shin, who is, you know, uh, just being content with having to follow his dad, who's seriously just following the routines of working at a sushi restaurant, and he just wants more than that. And Shonari, who is trying to break away from the the terrible world that they're living in but at the same time his older brother is just too content to the point in which he is just following everyday uh, routines even though it's horrible and then orinoko who is just trying her best to survive and taking care of her dad and um just trying to um see if you know they can be able to like do something great but unfortunately uh they're, they're everything just is stacked against them so, and yeah all of that is played off really nice individually but then when you see it all together played in that one night it starts making a lot more sense when you piece the pieces together yeah to me uh with shonari's plotline i felt that kind of was allegorical to how um foreigners who emigrate in J japan kind of have a hard time fitting in or finding work or feeling or finding acceptance. So they kind of fall into fall between the cracks and into potentially bad habits. So Shonari's brother taking up that Yakuza hitman gig because it fits a skill set, and then him trying to use what he does earn and gain from that to try and provide for a better life for his brother since their parents are not out of the picture. And then Shonari like 
trying to make things better, but ultimately falling to that same trap because he finally finds a way to actually belong and to, in, from his perspective, protect people. That's part of the tragedy I can see as the allegory they're playing with there, where you try and do better, but sometimes it's um, work giving everything up to provide a better life for someone isn't going to work out just because of who that person is. And I don't mean that in a negative sense, but uh, in the sense of a path you want for your family isn't necessarily what they themselves would actually desire. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, when you're trying to do your best to prevent other people, especially younger siblings or what have you, from following the same path you do. But unfortunately, that's what ends up happening with Shinari, in which when he starts, um, you know, killing the mayor and then he starts punching people, he actually gets a thrill of doing it. And then he starts saying that, you know, crushing skulls is so satisfying. It makes me feel really good. And then when he starts punching more of the Yakuza and then blood starts dripping into his arm and then he's saying that he really likes it and he keeps on going. And, you know, he had the opportunity, if possible, to actually get out because we have the scene in which when Haruko has one ticket left and that ticket was going to be the one to, like, transport them out of this planet and into the future. And... You know, it was a choice between Shimpachi, Shonari, and Orinoko. And, and they immediately gave it up for Orinoko. Yeah, they give it up for Orinoko. Yeah, because Shinari is a pretty content of just following basically in his brother's footsteps of just like punching everybody out. And then uh, Shimpachi seems to be pretty content of like helping Ori uh, Orinoko out and wanting to just, um, you know, stay back in, you know, his stay back where he is because he was able to find the hope of thinking that, hey, you know, things don't have to be, you know, content the way they are. And so, yeah, giving it to Orinoko where she's um it makes a lot more sense in context considering that her father's dead and the only thing that she has left is the memories of her mom in a floppy disk and, and the skills she learned from her dad which she can still apply outwardly so it kind of goes back to that decay of smaller towns where some people have to stay behind but you get out who you can mm -hmm, yeah so, um, yeah, I would say that um, I really did enjoy Grunge. I thought that it was really well done. I thought that even though it was only three episodes, I thought that they were able to tell the story uh, pretty well, in my opinion. I kind of felt like it was real rough at the start. Like, it wasn't, I wasn't really vibing with it until about halfway through the second part. But from there, I kind of felt where they were going with it, with the alternate perspectives on the same events. And those events not playing out uh, chronologically allowed me to look back at the previous parts to see just how much more they influenced each other, especially because Shinpachi, I think, has the issue of he doesn't like to not see things as they are, and that gets him irritated with his father, who, as part of being in the service industry, has to just forget what he sees on any given day once the people who come into the shop leave just so they won't interrupt the status quo of them having a functioning business. Not helped, of course, by the whole medical mechanica smog infesting the town and making people with fully developed brains not be able to use them. So honestly, Haruko getting rid of the anvil is probably going to help some of the issues, but it's still that same sense of urban decay where small, ta small towns really won't survive if they don't support the people in them 
Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting, too, that not only do we have the iron in the background letting out all of the steam, but also the fact that there's a lot of flies that are flying around and also the water is pretty polluted. And so it gives me a sense of like, this is really the decay of this particular town that they go through. It's like, they're still living through it, but at the same time, everything around them is just a giant dumpster fire, but they just accept it for what it is because they're just content with it. And of course the government by proxy, the mayor is helping none of it because he's in the pocket of, the big business, which is destroying them, and the mayor is looking to use that to exit out his own way as well, which Haruka also just disables as well. So it could also be kind of allegorical to just the culture of company towns. Yeah, that could be a possibility. And I, I really do like the fact that we have the usual anarchy of Haruko when it comes to all of the crazy antics that she goes through. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of people's their favorite part of Haruko, in addition to just like her crazy zaniness, is um, the scene in which she's like yelling over to the mayor and the Yakuza group about like, you know, all these subtitles are going in the background. Nobody likes listening to... Um, uh, you know, dub, so they watch it in subtitle anyway, even though you're not reading what we're saying anyway. I mean, I watched them with both the dub and the subtitles on, so I can't exactly relate. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm sure for the people who do relate, they probably found that to be pretty funny. But yeah, um, I don't have any other things to say about it. So uh, do you have any other final words for grunge or before we move over to shoegaze? That's not how I remembered it. <laughs> the, the Simpsons joke. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I actually think that that would actually fit more into shoegaze than with grunge, considering the fact that we have this whole, did this really happen? I don't know. Can you really see this? You're just using your imagination. So, yeah, cutting over to shoegaze. And, yeah, shoegaze was actually a really interesting one. So, again, this is a prequel to the original Fully Cooley, but it takes place 10 years after Alternative, which is actually the first time in this entire series of Fully Cooley that we actually do get to see pre-existing protagonists actually mingling up with the current ones. This has never happened before. I mean, technically, we had that with Progressive and, oh, okay, not protagonists, but we had Amro carry over from the original to sure, yes. Progressive, and then we also saw him in Grunge, but yeah, main character like that, no, and Again, as I said earlier, I think that's because um, of some of the, at least in my opinion, some of the grievances people had with Kana in that they didn't, especially that I shared in that, um, with her not having a completed story or her refusing to advance or progress. With this fixing it in that her looking away hasn't solved anything and now she has regrets over what she didn't do and what she didn't acknowledge before, even though okay. she is now a supporting character to the stories of Masaki and Harumi in this. Yeah. And if you're wondering, Haruko does not show up in this uh, season at all. Yeah. Um, I think I can't on this. I kind of, when I watched Shugays and didn't see Haruko in it, because from the trailers, I thought Har. Uh, I thought Harumi was going to be a young Haruko and this was her origin story. No, they complete, did complete something completely different that Harumi is in no way related to Haruko, but it kind of made me realize that Haruko is more of a story device through which to tell these stories with all the focused characters. She is not necessarily the focused character in and of herself. 
So since this ties into alternate events, they don't exactly need her for this story, or if they possibly want to do a season six, this shows that her part in the story could potentially be over with and other people can take the reins. Yeah, I, I think that that would be a possibility that we could focus on maybe other members of the, the of the police force or maybe even um, a separate thing that was very similar to what we saw where it's kind of like Haruko, but not necessarily Haruko, where Harumi is just like off the wall insane, very similar to Haruko, but in a different way. And she actually has a bit of a tragic story that kind of like justifies on why she's acting the way that she does. Yeah, because the after effects of Kana's uh, world-saving wormhole is a lot of people have been displaced and erased from their current reality, sent off to a separate split timeline. And when that happened, the reality kind of glitched and everything became different, but not everyone remembers quite why. The main character, Masaki Alfuji, who is played by in the English by Jesse Nowak, who is a member of Team Four Star... Uh, everybody should know him best from their um, Among Us streams, where Jesse is completely incapable of lying. He also pl previously played Saris Victoria in their Helsing Abridged series. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I should mention the previous um, main uh, protagonist with Shin Pachi. He's played uh, by uh, Casey Mangelo, who is very similar to Jesse, in which they were, um, you know, um, they were once uh, affiliated with some type of voice acting in various shows. I mean, I'm thinking that for some people, you may know that uh, Casey is the the new uh, voice of. Um, the main character in Evangelion, which we just mentioned earlier. So just want to point that out. Yeah. Um, as I was saying, Misaki was affected by the reality glitch by him being able to see ghosts that are actually like crossover spirits of people that were lost in the displacements that show images on their bodies of the other reality that they are split from. So it's like the echo, the people are gone. They can't be remembered but they're still there when they should be. Mm -hmm. As for Harami, Harami's part in that, she is one of those displaced, but not just in place or in family, but in body, as in the original timeline, Harami was a guy, and they were gender-flipped, and now there's a factor of gender dysphoria to their entire story, and that's why they act out, because even though they can't remember it, she doesn't still she still does not feel like herself. Mm -hmm. And she, even though she can't remember, she's still missing what she lost because of all that. Right. And I, I think that that's interesting because I feel that at some point for some people, whether it be with um, certain issues with, um, you know, like identity crisis, there's a some point in which people do feel like they're not who they really are, whether it be with their predicament in their upbringing or with their culture or with even their gender or anything of the sort. I think that with identity crisis and just figuring out of who you really are is actually starting to become a little bit more relevant in recent years. Yeah, and I feel like that's also another reason why having Kana back from Alternative was a good choice. Because, I do agree. Because then Harami can, is, acts as a personification of someone harmed as a consequence of Kana's decisions, and that becomes the, the climactic conflict between them of Harami being someone rejecting the world that Kana made because of all it took from her by her choice. And Kana has to admit she still doesn't know if the decision she made is right, but she can only make the best decision she can 
in wake of that, even though part of Conistry in this is how she is abdicated a bit of her own agency to the guy that is running the uh, borough in this that was trying to merge the worlds and in fact had kind of suckered um, Misaki into being part of his world merger attempt, but somehow through somehow manipulating them into going to the tower, which okay. he built to pop to use as an antenna for a no gate bearer to just an, open another gate, fuse them back. And as a tangent, it has been odd, oddly specific that I've been running into a bunch of series that happen to be using world splits and murders as a plot device. One of the most recent ones being Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which ends, is an entire thing in and of itself involving all the Xeno games and a multi-generational uh, storyline uh, thing that is entire mess here that I I want to bring it up, but I don't want to really get into it because it's a lot. I yeah, mean, I, <laughs> I yeah. just, just give the, uh, the, the, the quick uh, summary of it. Um, basically... Science experiments went wrong. Three processing devices split the uh, one world into three. One world became the setting of the Xenosaga games. One, the second one became the setting of the Xenoblade 1 game. This, the third one became the uh, setting of the Xenoblade 2 game. And them all not merging together correctly became the setting of Xenoblade 3. I see. Yeah, it, it's a lot. I hope to do. I hoped at one point to do videos on them, but it's just too much. Right. I, I can understand that, uh, especially if people will try to figure out what takes place in what, and it can get pretty confusing. Yeah, it, it's like, and Japan has been using that kind of world merger or world crossover storyline in a lot of varied series from Kamen Rider to Super Sentai to. Hell, this technically goes back to Tales of Symphonia in the 2000s, where it's been an infrequent plot device. And I'm not sure if there's consistent rules with how they're doing it, or if they're just using uh, the old bit of Crisis on Infinite Earths to just do a slam, slam them together and see what sticks. Hmm. Makes me wonder about if, uh, you know, they keep doing it to the point in which people just get completely lost and then are just wondering, if I go back, will I be able to catch up with it? When in reality, that just doesn't seem to work at all. Kind of like how so many uh, properties are trying to bank off of multiverse storytelling and the number of series that successfully do that are kind of just shrinking. Yeah, I, I mean, I've noticed that recently that whenever that people try to do like a massive multiverse that it just starts off standalone and then they try to see if they can be able to connect it. But unfortunately, if one thing fails and the other thing tries to pick itself up and tries to be as well as a standalone feature, it just kind of like fumbles together and the foundation wasn't strong enough to begin with. Yeah, sometimes it's just a matter of continuity. You need to stick to continuity. You need to pay attention to continuity as throwing something into an alternate universe isn't always going to fix your problem. Yeah, and I think that another thing that people need to also remember is that planning these things out from the very beginning, and if you're wanting it to make a multiverse out of this, it, it needs a lot of answering a lot of questions that um, is going to either come later or is going to be clear for people to understand. Otherwise, they'll just be confused and not be fully invested in it. Yeah, it requires a lot of the F word, effort. <laughs> yes, very good analogy. Very good statement on that. I do agree. Effort is a key to making all of this stuff make sense. 
Otherwise, we're going to go into the whole Kingdom uh, Hearts hole. And then you have to just, like, not only play the games, but also watch a lot of YouTube videos analyzing it or watch... Um, you know, various uh, tutorials on how to even get involved with understanding the universe and where it stands and where it's going and where it came from in order for you to even get that the story is. Or worse, supplementary material that was never exported out of its originating nation to provide the necessary understandable material to it. Oh, or, even, or even worse than that, releasing something that is crucial to the story that is on a device that people would think is not even worth getting because it's not as big as, say, a major hardware. Or worse, that information it can only be found on commentary tracks and interviews that are not released as part of more modern releases of that content. Oof. Oh, God, that last one has been killing me as of late. Oh, gosh. Okay. Anyway, so shoegaze, yeah, so, yeah, now compared to grunge, now, I don't really want to compare it because they, they're two different types of storytelling and two different types of presentation, but, yeah, I do think that um, it's actually pretty interesting, it's, it's just a matter of where you see um, Mazaki and Harumi trying to take this tower, and then they, they think it's like a major hostage situation, where, in reality, it's just them wanting to, um, you know, you have Masaki who's just trying to figure himself out because he feels completely lost. And then you have Harumi who also feels completely lost, but for a different reason. And you're just trying to, you know, figure out why are they acting this way. And then when we have the tower and everything just answers all out with Kana basically being the one who kind of like inadvertently started it all and trying to fix everything... It actually does give a really nice follow-up to Alternative. Yeah, it, it, it feels like it swung back to what Progress's point was in that you can't be stuck in reclaiming a lost past. You have to move forward. You can't keep doing the same things over and over again. And I felt yeah. like if they're not going to do another series, then bringing that back from the first of the sequels, that was probably a wise choice to reemphasize the point. Yeah, and I also really like the fact that Kana was able to learn a lesson from Alternative, where when she was trying to figure out who she really was and the fact that she wanted everything to stay the same and she didn't want to progress any forward, but at the same time, you know, she knew at that point when she was growing up that she had to move on with her life, but at the same time, she was still uncertain about what she wanted to do or, you know, what she was meant to do or if what she was doing was right, which I think is really relatable for a lot of people who yeah. are reaching that point of young adulthood. Yeah, especially since she seemed to actually find a direction she wanted and then the bureau director kind of completely screwed her over on that by tricking her to thinking, hey, we can get everything you lost back. She wanted to become a nurse. She wanted to help people. And that comes back at the end, too, where she actually saves Harmi's life because of the training she wanted to embrace. And her embracing it again is how she starts to move forward again instead of getting stuck in this repetitive ennui like the bureau director seems to be. Yeah. Yeah, he was so adamant of wanting things to be back to normal when in reality, what's done is done. And if you try to fix it again, I mean, are you going to be completely satisfied with everything being back to normal? Or are you going to still feel empty and wanting to find something else to fulfill yourself, which you don't even know what it is? Or worse, will this only recreate the very crisis that Kana saved them from to begin with? Like, would this open them up again to being antagonized by medical mechanica like 
everything else is in everything that is supposed to be said past this. Like, mm-hmm. is there a little bubble reality? What keeps them safe? Or is medical mechanica out still out there affecting other things? They're just out of their line of sight. Yeah, it, it kind of reminded me of Kor in a way in which when Kor was able to free the spirits into the uh, the real world and people were wondering if she actually made the right decision in doing it. But in the long run, it was worth it for airbenders to actually gain their powers again. But at the other at the other side, it also kind of backfired on her because there were some people who felt that the Avatar was irrelevant and and she felt this existential crisis for several years and wondering if she was even relevant in this ever-changing world. And yeah, I just think that it kind of like brings similar things to that. It's like, do our decisions help or harm others? And if it helps others, then, you know, we can see that it was worth it. But at the same time, it could cause some harm in the long run. Well, also playing into how just some people cannot accept or understand change, so just want to keep on doing things. I think we see that enough in the political sphere about people trying to roll back the clock to what they think are happier times when, no, those times were not necessarily happier in the ways you think of them. You just weren't aware enough of the world around you, so you were happier, but you can't keep sticking your head in the sand. Yeah, and also the fact that even though that you might have been quote-unquote happy, there were thousands, maybe even millions of others who were not, who were suffering, and all the changes that were happening actually made things better for them. Yeah, but at least from... Masaki being tricked into opening these this big NO warp gates. There get there is allowed to be some closure because Kana gets confronted and is allowed to admit to herself that she might she doesn't know what she's doing, but now if as long as she keeps her eyes open, she'll just do the best she can. Masaki is vindicated for everything he's seeing, even though he still ends up seeing it all. Harami is allowed to go back to his life, so his gender dysphoria stuff is resolved in the ending credits scheme, uh, scene when he's pulled, uh, ported back to the original reality in his original body and his place is restored while wiping the female Harami away from Kana's reality. So her crisis is res- her slash his crisis is resolved. I'm getting my pronouns mixed up here. And Misaki somehow harnesses the power of Atomisk to be able to port between the two dimensions so they can still visit. Yes. And uh, Kana can get closure by finally being able to send her lost friend Pets a letter. Yeah, and that was actually really sweet. I really did like that closure. Especially since, if you remember from Alternative, she didn't exactly get a proper goodbye from Pets. Yeah, and like closure and codes like that can go a long way to resolving not necessarily everything, but enough to have a complete story. I have seen series, I am going to be discussing series, that entirely fail on that point through not necessarily faults of their own, but executives meddling things so they can't do that path. And I'm glad that, at the very least for all of this, that Shoegaze was able to give that closure, especially since it's questionable that they'll ever do uh, season six or something. Yeah, I think there was a mention that Adult Swim no longer uh, has the ability to do any more seasons of uh, Fully Cooly. I think that Projection IG um, is the one that has the the rights at this point in time, and I don't think they're going to be doing it anytime soon. Yeah, um, I also think that the way this um, tied into Alternative was benefited by this being written by Kenta Ihara. 
He is a regular screenwriter, unlike with Grunge, who has done, but he's mostly done manga and, and novel to anime adaptations, notably being Cautious Hero, Trapped in a Dating Sim, Saga of Tanya the Evil, and uh, Uncle from Another World, which are all a bunch of recent isekai-related stuff. But um, he was also, he started out his career as a um, storyboard artist on Alternate, so he was more aware of the story from the from that series to be able to pick it up. Oh, that's great, actually. I, I, I really like the fact that he was able to make a jump from being storyboard artist to writer. I think that's really awesome. Yeah, I've seen a few storyboard artists go to either writer and director, and apparently that position helps pe- helps um, prospective screenwriters understand story flow better than those who might start off as a novelist because it lets them better understand how much they can actually fit into the storytelling of episodes so necessary content to telling the story they want ends up not cut or as we were ranting about a bit earlier, having that paratext problem where what's needed to be in the story is not in the story. Yeah. Uh, I, and, and that's really awesome. I, I really would love to see more opportunities of people like that being able to branch out. Whereas usually that would be for like television in which like, you know, various people start off as storyboard artists and then they go off and they create their own TV series. Um, and yeah, I I'm, I'm, would love to see, you know, more opportunities where they can be able to branch out and do that kind of stuff. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Also, another thing we should shout out is to um, Stephanie Shea, um, actor, director, and of course, uh, script adaptation. She has done the script adaptation for every Fooly Cooly series, including the manga. So that's why it feels so consistent across basically all the content. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yeah. Definitely a major shout out to Stephanie for that. Yeah, so um, I guess right before we go, I think it would be really interesting to look back on these five seasons of Fully Cooley and discuss about which ones were our favorites and our least favorites. Um, that's actually a good question because I still think like the original for me is the best just because of how off the wall it is while still having a nuanced story to it. Mm-hmm. Progressive, I'd rank, I don't exactly rank the uh, after that, but I still... I still find it better than others because I I like stories that outright say you can't keep doing the same things over and over again. I know, uh, so I kind of rank it like third for me. Shoegaze kind of feels like it'd be second overall, um, simply because it helps fix my issues with alternates. Mm -hmm. And I put grunge after that, but it's more its own thing, so it's hard to put it in a ranking like that. I still end up liking alternate the least, but I like it more now because of shoegaze. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would probably put progressive a little bit lower than that because even though I get what the message was, I just really couldn't uh, gravitate too much on the characters. And I would probably put in um, maybe alternative in the bottom because I did really enjoy the storytelling that it was um, involving with Khan and the rest of the gang. I really did enjoy. Uh, now, as a tie, I guess maybe on third, I will put in grunge because I really did enjoy that structure 
of the storytelling. And then Shugei's definitely at uh, number two because I really did like that follow-up from Alternative and the stories that it was able to tell with that one. And then, yeah, I, I do agree that uh, the original Fully Cooley is number one. It's just incomparable because of just who was making it at the time and just them allowed to be experimental. But in a way, all of the Fully Cooley series just do their own thing to be experimental, which is the, to their own merits but uh, obviously not everyone is gonna it's not gonna hit well with everybody that is true i mean like we said in the last few podcasts that a lot of people were pretty mixed on each season of fully coolly after the first one so i guess it um it's a matter of what gravitates to your particular style and taste so uh if you really did enjoy fully coolly the original in terms of it's zany humor, it's music, and it's characters, then yeah, each of the uh, the other ones are going to deliver something a little bit different. But you know what? It's a good thing because we don't want the same monotony over and over and over again. I'm sure that would have been, probably been the easiest thing to do, but each of the seasons was able to play off something a little bit differently, have a different moral to their stories, have different characters going through their own struggles, but at the same time tie it all together in this one major plot point, which again... It's a lot to be um, commended for. Yeah, and it's like, how many series do we see where Seasonal Rod ends up taking characters we love and then starts doing things to them which we deeply do not agree with over the last so many years? Like, not everybody's going to be, what's a good example of what I can name? Not everything's going to be One Piece where the characters have mostly remained likable and have developed throughout it, especially with how long it's run. Oh, sure, yeah. And if you want to go for more Western animation, not everything's going to be like Arthur, in which, like, even though that that show's been going on for 25 seasons, they still keep to the same core of having, you know, the kids go through their everyday, you know, life uh, struggles with, you know, being a third and fourth grader and, um, you know, having them go through, like, different things, whether it be with Buster going through asthma or Binky adopting um, a younger sister from China or George discovering that he... Um, it has dyslexia or the April 9th situation in which everybody was going through their own experiences of a fire drill or something like that, where each of them have their own moments where they're able to up the stakes. But at the same time, you know, it's it's a show for young kids. And the ending was able to tie it off in a really nice way that I think Al Jean wanted to do for The Simpsons, but he could never do. But anyway, yeah, be- I digress. Because The Simpsons will never be canceled until the casts end up. Uh, kicking the bucket unfortunately same thing with the other adult animations uh family guy uh american dad uh bob's burgers i think is getting up there and of course south park where it's probably going to take a cast death to finally put them down oh man that's that's rough like at least the more recent seasons of the simpsons have been getting better again that is that is true yeah because the new showrunner has been coming up with really interesting fresh ideas to bring it back to classic simpsons which is why a lot of people are talking about it again yeah but not everybody can exist not every series hell even doctor who on that can exist for long enough to go through seasonal rot that becomes so necrotic that it grows entirely new existence Right, exactly. Yeah, it, it's very rarely that you get to see something like that and done very well, mind you. Yeah. Anyway, so, but so at least at least we have stuff that will allow like to take old ideas, give it to us in new ways. 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, I guess that's um, I, that's all I can say for now about uh, Fully Cooly Grunge and Shoegaze. So, Des, uh, once again, thank you so much for coming on by. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for letting me on board. And maybe I will have a better opportunities to be a part of more podcasts in the coming future. Yes, I, I will not wait another five years for you to come back. I'm sorry. Hey, hey, hey to be fair, I kept telling you no when stuff like the uh, Hayao Miyazaki podcast came up and other incidents where I just didn't feel like I was right for it. Oh, no problem at all. I mean, you know what? I mean, everybody has their opinions on things and... That's perfectly fine with me. We all we all have our interest in saying what we want to say. And if we don't, then you know what? That's fine. I mean, not everybody has the same mindset. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, please uh, plug and promote your stuff. Yeah. I am found on YouTube at the YouTube channel Shinta Reviews. I will be reviewing Code Geass, Super Robot Wars X, Tales of Graces F, and Persona 5 this year. I will also be doing discussions amid those about Scryd, Gunsword, Gravion, Overman King Gainer, Spice and Wolf, G-Witch, Osama Sentai King Oger, Combo Rider Kabuto, uh, Naughty and the Secret of Blue Water, Aura Battler Dunbide, Mashinhiro Wataru, Gundam Reconquista in G, Gundam Wing, Gurren Lagann, Buddy Complex, and a few other series I cannot rename off the top of my head that are actually all involved in in discussing a bunch of these. If you've never heard of Super Robot Wars, it is a game series that crosses over a bunch of mecha anime. So kind of discussing all of the involved series in it is a bit of a requirement if people are not familiar with them. All right, then. And as for me, uh, you can check out um, my social media links, uh, or my website, which is oldschoollane.net, uh, YouTube channel, which is uh, youtube.com slash oldschoollane, facebook.com slash oldschoollane. Um, I'm on Blue Sky at uh, patriciamiranda.bluesky.app. I have X slash Twitter as well. You can follow me there at patty underscore b underscore Miranda. Um, you could also follow me on Instagram, which is old-school-lane. Uh, new episodes of the podcast will go onto the uh, podcast feed first, and then they'll go up in a few days on YouTube. Um, we're actually playing around with the idea that maybe the podcast should only be exclusive to the podcast feed, and then videos will be on YouTube. So if you prefer that over the other, please let me know in the comments below. But yeah, uh, that should be it, everyone. Let us know in the comments below about your thoughts on Fully Cooly Grunge and Shoegaze. Uh, which one did you prefer? Did you like Grunge? Did you like Shoegaze? Or you didn't like either of them, or you liked them both? And out of the five seasons of Fully Cooly, which one was your favorite and your least favorite all right that's it thanks for listening everyone hope to see you around soon and take care bye